Amen. Glad you're with us this morning. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here. Today we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Ah, uh, finally, 1 Thessalonians. I know everybody was excited about it. Uh, you can turn or tap your way there in the copy of the scriptures you brought with you, or uh, we'll have that on the screen for you and would love to gift you a copy of the scriptures in modern English translation. makes it a lot easier to read. We want you to find this in a way you can find it again through the week. This is the kind of stuff we're hoping that you're feeding your soul on through the week. And if you're somebody who's more advanced in the faith and you've got all these different things, these disciplines that you do, fantastic. Also, as part of the Body of Hope Church, this is what we're going to be thinking about. This book is what we're going to be thinking about for the next several weeks. And there's a reason. You sang it, first song we sang today, there's nothing that our God can't do, there's not a mountain that he can't move. I want to see mountains move. I jumped into this, honestly, I started reading 1 Thessalonians seriously as a possible sermon series because of how often it talks about the end times, about Jesus' return, something that's present in a lot of people's mind. It's a theme that we see in the book, and so we titled our sermon series after that theme. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Now, that song has been in the background of my head. Honestly, it's from uh, Tommy Boy. I don't know that I really knew it as like just a song. And let's be real, it's a 35-year-old song. I'm 35. Give me a break. Uh, but there's a song by a band, R.E.M., and the only thing anybody knows about it is that chorus. Because then, when the verses come, they just start yelling words, and it's not rap. You don't know what's happening. And then they're back to this chorus, which has a hook to it, and you hear it. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Now, the Christian has something like that experience, as we know that the world will end. Hush. <laughs> we believe that the world will end. And there's so much madness in our world today that it feels soon. Certainly, there's a lot being thought about and taught about these topics. So, if we're going to be faithful to the Scriptures, we have to go to the parts of Scripture that talk about what's going on in our world and see how God wants to instruct us in this. Can I tell you that while I went to 1 Thessalonians to get some understanding of how to deal with some of the teaching and thinking that's going on, I found that the Holy Spirit wasn't really interested in helping us understand a lot about that. There's some headlines, there's some interesting stuff, there's teaching, we'll get there. But what's in 1 Thessalonians is a concern to see God move. There is nothing fundamentally different between us and the 11 men that Jesus commissioned on foot to convert the Roman Empire. That they were persecuted by who they thought were their brothers. One of the most vicious of those persecutors, in fact, becoming a convert and writing the letter that we're going to be reading today. There is nothing fundamentally different between us and the ancient Christians who ran toward plague victims rather than away. 
providing just basic nursing care and seeing hundreds and thousands saved from sure death. What would lead to one day the concept of hospitals? There's nothing fundamentally different about us and the Christians who ended slavery in the British Empire in the 1800s. There's nothing fundamentally different. Seeing people like John Newton get come to know Christ, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, and before that was a slave trader. God can do and will do giant things. I want him to do those things through us in the places that I see and care about. I don't necessarily get super excited about history, especially when I compare it with my aspirations for our hometown. In the New Testament, especially this letter, we see a diagnostic check. Because the Christians that Paul was writing to had a lot going for them, but they also had misunderstood or misapplied some of his teaching about the end times, and it had boogered up everything else in the works. The letter of 1 Thessalonians goes through and corrects, and I want to go through and correct so that my heart is changed and fixed, and so that your head and your heart are changed and fixed, and we're able to really get something going. God takes this massive display of his judgment and pulls a remnant through it for his glory. He did it in the flood when the the world was unmade and yet he pulled this remnant through it in the ark. He did it in the deportation when the, uh, I'm sorry, in the plagues of Egypt when he poured out his judgment on this people and then he pulled this little nothing slave people out of it and created a nation. He did it with the deportation when that nation had totally run from him to idolatry to the point that he allowed Babylon to sweep in like waters. And then he pulled a little remnant out to build another temple to keep that word going till we get to the New Testament where we're very aware that an end is coming, that that judgment is going to sweep in, that that flood of judgment won't be a flood in the same way. You know, we know rainbows. But that flood of judgment comes through and he pulls out a remnant. How does the Bible actually teach us to be ready for that? First Thessalonians, we're going to go through the whole first chapter today. It's only 10 verses. Don't be nervous. We're going to see how God is going to fix us. First Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. I don't know if you care, but this is very grounded in history. Thessalonica, which is the ancient name of this city, is currently a modern city in Greece. You can go to it. It's called now Thessaloniki, but it's the same word. And that place was a city, a city that Paul and uh, Silas came through and planted a church. Then, because of persecution, they ended up leaving in order to kind of turn the heat down on those remaining Christians. They go to the next town, the next town, the next town, continue to plant churches. But this little church in Thessalonica then continued to grow, but had some problems 
Timothy, one of Paul's boys, goes to check on it, comes back, tells Paul, and then he's writing a letter based on that report. This is all grounded in history. You can go to these places. Anyway, Paul is writing a letter to the people in this city of Thessalonica. And he says, grace to you and peace. We, meaning the people who helped to lead this church, plant this church, give thanks always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want one verse for the whole sermon, that's it. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a faith that commits. It's a love that moves, and it's a hope that does not quit. How do you get those? Well, they are waters pouring out of this fountainhead, which is Jesus. We have faith in this Jesus, faith that commits. If I don't have a a faith that's like a disposition, I actually have faith That's an eyes-open apprehension. It's a a seeing of something and trusting what I'm seeing. Think about that for a second. Many people think about faith, and they think about it as a hunkering down. Despite all evidence, despite all argument, I just believe. Oh. Well, it's impressive because of your grit, but it's not well thought out. Is that what we're talking about when we think about faith and a faith that commits? No, the Christian understanding of faith is not just stubbornness. The Christian understanding of faith is an eyes open looking at belief in what you're seeing. And it's not something, but someone that you're seeing. See, the people in the New Testament found this pulsing um, beat to their heart. They had this fire in their bellies. But it didn't come because their eyes were closed in determination to hold on to something. It it came because their eyes were opened and fixed on this blazing fire that was the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And you can see it throughout the whole New Testament. They are fascinated by Jesus. Their minds are blown by Jesus. In Hope Kids, we do that. We say, we're going to teach your kids how the whole uh, Bible points to Jesus. If we had time, I could fill up these whiteboard walls with all the ways that the Old Testament and the New are pointing you towards Jesus. When you read through the books of the New Testament, you see four books that are just his life over and over and over again, and they're the longest ones in there. Then you get all these letters, most of them written by this guy Paul, and in these letters, if you crack them open, you find these hymns, poetry, heart songs that are being sung about this Jesus as God. This is in the first generation of his church. It's a fascination with Jesus, a faith that apprehends and loves Jesus. Saying, what do you want done, Jesus? We're on it. How do you want that to be done, Jesus? Done. Where are you, Jesus? That's where we're going to be. If his heart is for the lonely, if his heart is for the orphan, then Hope Church needs to get into foster care. If his heart is for those that are far from God, if his heart are for those who know that they're not his, then Hope Church needs to get into the leper business. 
almost said, <laughs> into the prostitution business. That would have played weird. But we do have to know and love those that are uh, farthest from God. That's what Jesus did. So that we have a faith that moves. We have a love that works. We paddle upstream, and we do that to get to him whom we love. And we have this steadfastness of hope in Jesus. That's how the gospel just breaks your brain. It's not this running towards love in the hope that you may somehow obtain it. It's a running in love. The gospel says you're not running in order to be loved. You're not the kid on the track team that dad's only going to be happy if you do well. No, no, I'm running because of this love given to us in Jesus. So how do we get that? How do we get that confidence? How do we get that love? How do we get that hope? How do we get that joy? How do we get Jesus? Well, the Thessalonians had him, and Paul reminds them as he begins this whole letter that's going to address a lot of hiccups in their world. He starts the whole letter by going back to the kind of prime, basic understanding. He says in verse 4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that God has chosen you. We know you have Jesus. Oh man, this is fantastic. How do we see if we have Jesus? Because the gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The word came and you believed. The seed came and was planted, and you received it. It began to grow. You, <laughs> may not like this analogy, are like dirt in the ground, and God puts that seed in your heart, and it begins to grow. How do I defend that you're like dirt in the ground? Well, if you go back to the beginning, God spoke everything else into existence. It emerged from the poetry of his spoken power, but not us. <laughs> us. He took dirt and formed it and then breathed life into it. That's where we came from. That's what we are. He put new life into something that was just dirt. Then after the fall, we see something similar that continues to happen throughout Scripture. Now, in the creation moment, that's just this beautiful thing. That's this beautiful moment that he's taking this creation. And he's making from it this image bearer that he's going to breathe life into and then send to go and not only enjoy him, but reflect him to this whole creation. But after the fall, we get death coming into the world, this idea that you go back to being dirt. That one day you will die, and when you die, you will return. But he's still not finished with us. You go to places throughout the Old Testament. There's one in particular that's crazy from Ezekiel chapter 37, where God tells his prophet to go and prophesy at this old battle scene, this old graveyard, where there's all these exposed bones, where some war had taken place, and instead of burying all these guys, they just built the road a different way. And so now, here's this giant, think of uh, a Lion King elephant graveyard. And God tells Ezekiel to go and to preach to the bones. Do you imagine what that would be like? I know what it feels like. Bang! <laughs> preach to the bones. 
And so he does. He goes, bones, and starts prophesying to the bones. And as he speaks the word of God, what happens to the dead? The bones rattle and reform. Then flesh and sinew. And then he says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. The breath enters. And here stands this living army. You turn graves into gardens. I don't know how the song part goes. But the words, you turn bones into... Yes! Great job. You got bones. Well done. Turn bones into armies. I love the imagery. Death to life. I love the imagery. Dirt to image. I love the imagery. Sedentary to army. Do you see it? What happens in the New Testament? Well, you have these people that were followers of Jesus that are all up in this upper room trying to figure out what's going on. And the Holy Spirit comes among them, Acts 2-2, and suddenly there comes from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind fills the entire house where they're sitting, tongues of flame on their heads, and then they go out and they speak, and thousands are converted. Do you see the picture? It's all through Scripture. Far from God, useless. You encounter God. He gives you life. He gives you this wind. He gives you this spirit. And the spirit starts to enliven you to change you, and to use you. That word comes, and that word enlivens. It comes through by way of true teachers. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come up again and again, and we'll have a whole sermon on this kind of thing. But the teachers who teach you Jesus matter. Are they good or are they not? Are the words that they're speaking Jesus' words or are they not? Unprecedented amount of information you have access to. The Internet is a miracle. It's a pipeline that can bring literally anything to your door. It's wild to see what's possible. Made me think of, I'm not a Trekkie, but I do remember... That Star Trek had a thing, and I Googled it. It's called a replicator, and they could walk up to it and say, hamburger. And the replicator would bloop, and there would be a hamburger. Or they could walk up to it and say, sushi or coffee or whatever, and bloop, it would just come out. And I remember thinking, how cool would that thing be? That's why the only thing I remember about Star Trek is that thing. And now you have that. You can literally bloop, and then DoorDash. Amazon, YouTube, anything, any food, any teaching can just appear before you. You can summon it. You can make it happen. Now, maybe you don't believe in witches anymore. You've redefined that term, and we can all laugh about them with Halloween. But they used to burn them part of the reason they did was because the witches would go and interact with something. They would call on something, and something would reply. 
They get these dark powers and they do these horrible things. Is it any different when you go and you call on something and something answers? Don't, don't, don't play. Be discerning. There's the spirit and there are spirits. And we're not waging this war against flesh and blood. What are you reading? What are you watching? Your dirt. What are you planting into your heart? And what fruit is it producing? You got a problem moving forward. You got a problem working. Well, let's look at what you're putting in the dirt. What are you ingesting? These Thessalonians had the incredible miracle of true teachers who taught them the true words of God. And it bore amazing fruit. Look at how it bore this fruit. You became imitators of us, Paul Silas, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, for you received the word in much affliction, just like they did, with joy. Not masochism, joy in pain, but joy in receiving the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we don't need to say anything. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. What kind of seed, what kind of word do we have that it can use even us, even our reception, its growth in us to preach about this amazing God? What kind of life that it grows and just expands and blows up all over everything? He talks about affliction, and affliction is there, and we'll talk about affliction more. When Paul first got to Thessalonica, he goes to the synagogue. This is what he always did. He'd go to a city, he'd go to the synagogue. In the synagogue, he'd teach everybody and say, I know the Old Testament backwards, forwards. Here's what it means, Jesus. And some people would agree, some people would disagree. Generally, the disagreeers would get very angry and violent. That's what happened in Thessalonica. So they leave the, temp- or the synagogue and they start speaking to all these Gentiles. They're there for a couple of months, probably. But in that time, these people who were anti, who got upset about the way that they were saying Jesus was what the whole Testament was pointing to, incited, so they have religious uh, disagreement, a worship misunderstanding. And in Thessalonica, they incite political forces, uh uh-oh, to stop these guys from preaching the gospel. Interesting. So these guys leave. They think maybe Paul and Silas go, things will die down a little bit, and the church will be able to continue in peace. But even in that affliction, the church grows. Now, in the southeast, there's a thing called kudzu. And if you're ever driving in the interstate in that part of the country, you'll see it. It just grows over everything. Here's a picture. What it does, it's this invasive vine, and it grows. They call it a foot of night plant because it grows literally incredible amounts just every single day. And the big broad leaves and the vines crawl up over everything and they use those things to get more sun, but they smother everything underneath. So they just consume. There's some old cars. You won't believe this. In the southeast, sometimes people will just park their stuff out in the yard. But they <laughs> grows all over everything. He's talking about that. 
because he's kind of negative. But the gospel is just exploding, even despite this persecution. It's possible. The world changed, and these individuals changed. In fact, the world changed because these individuals changed. He finishes the chapter. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So in every single chapter of this book, we're going to have stuff about Jesus coming back. In this first chapter, it's less, which is why the sermon about it was less uh, emphatic on this point. But it does say they're going to wait for this son from heaven that's coming back. But not only does God in this new life, not only does this breath and this word come in and change, it changes their activity. Changes their heart, but it changes their activity. It pushes other things out. Can you do anything when you have a splinter other than think about the splinter? I can't. Oh my gosh, I was trying to pull some dead stuff out of our garden the other day, and I'm pulling in, and I got two or three in there. And it was just, okay, game over. All I can do now is work on these needles and tweezers and trying to push. And poor Rachel's eyes, she can't even see it, and she's trying to help me. And it's like you can't do anything until that foreign object is gone. Do you see what happens here? This new life comes in, and it squeezes everything else out. A new husband comes in, and he evicts all the other lovers. That's a very biblical picture. You can ooh if you want to. It's a very biblical picture. He becomes our spouse. He comes in and he sees what we've loved, that we have given ourselves to money, sex, career, morality. It's crazy, but that's possible, spiritual pride. Having kids, being seen. When he comes in, he sends all those other gods away. He loves you so much. You've left those idols for him. And yet, I think this is one of our big ones. We've turned back to those idols. See, if a, if a husband comes home and the wife's with somebody else, somebody's going to die. And the story of the gospel is the wife doesn't die. Eventually, this temptation does die. But even that doesn't die. The groom died. The sin took place. Somebody has to die. And the story of the gospel is that Jesus did. That he stepped in and he took your place. And now we wait for this son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead. The power of this gospel, this Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, what are you going to do with this? Are you his? Are you not? Many of you are going to be able to say without shame, I am not. Thank you so much for being here. We exist for you. But for those of you who would say, I am his, but this doesn't look like me. Uh Uh-oh. How do we fix this? What do I need to remind you of so that you'll see this? Here's part of the problem. If you go to the end of this book, in verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, We belong to the day. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith 
and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, hope, and love. We talked about it at the beginning. I'm talking about it at the end. But he doesn't talk about it like PJs. We think that God's here to comfort us. We put these things on like they're going to just make us happy and just make us comfortable. But this description is strange, PJs. Nobody sleeps in a breastplate. Nobody puts on a helmet for bed. He has given you these things for war. Now, church, are we ready? Lord God and Heavenly Father, I ask in this moment that you would paint these things on our, not just our heads and our brains, but our imaginations and our hearts. Have them go down and stir our affections. You give us pictures, Father. You give us dirt and plants and fruit. You give us wind and blood and armor. You make these things real to us because they are real and should change us. Father, will you please just write these things on us so that we really get it, we really understand, we really turn and worship to you, we really cast out our idols and become effective in being a part of the scheme that you have to build your kingdom and glorify your name while we wait on you one day to return. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.